Hello, this is Kevin McMullen, Senior Pastor of Independence Christian Center. Thanks for joining us as we break the bread of life today. Our prayer is that your faith in our Lord Jesus Christ is strengthened by this word. God bless you. All right, we're going to continue our series on rich Christians. Thank you. Another, add, add one more so that we can have, it can be euphonic. Um, you can turn to Matthew chapter 6 because we will be looking at a lot there. We'll also be looking at 1 Timothy 6 and we'll have a lot of scriptures that we will project for you uh, this evening. And I want to talk about beware the evil eye. Uh, we live in a day when... Um, Literally, 2 Timothy 3 and 2 is coming to pass before our very eyes where it says men will be that very dangerous, very um, uh, trying times will come because men will become lovers of self, lovers of money, etc. And did you ever think that you would see uh, uh, a government throw money at people the way our government is and has been? And... But you know what? It's okay because it's all borrowed. You know, so, you know, it, it, you, nobody hurt, right? And we, we've gotten to the point that every, you know, money is a good servant, but it is a very poor master. And we live in a day of avarice. We live in a day of greed. We live in a day of terminal self-centeredness. Uh, democracies throughout history have cratered when it became evident that people, and this has been said, I can't remember who it said, can vote themselves benefits from the public purse. And it's to be regretted that a politician has to get up to get elected and make all kinds of promises about all the goodies that, that we're going to get because people have become so self-centered and so greedy, and when I say people, that is general and not you, turn to your neighbor and say, he can't be talking about me. But, you know, that the, and it's all, you know, we have the lottery, we have these casinos out here. I remember when they were trying to get the casinos in and we kept voting them down and voting them down and voting them down, I remember that. I mean, statewide vote, you know, no, no, no. But they just kept coming back, coming back, coming back, coming back. And eventually it got to where either everybody just said, oh, let them have it. Or where we so uh, changed as an electorate, as a people. Somebody one time said, you get the government you, and you get the leaders you deserve. I hope not. Um. Money promises more than it can deliver. And virtually the entire world believes that if you have enough money, you don't have problems. Now, people who are wealthy um, have been disabused of that. And they even say, I've, I've seen several of them have said, you know, that sometimes being of modest means is, is, is preferable simply because you are still functioning under the illusion or the delusion that if you had more money, you know, things would be okay. When, in point of fact, not really. 
First Timothy chapter six and verse ten, the most one of the most misquoted version, uh, verses of the Bible, says, "For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil, and some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many a pang." Notice it is the love of money. Not money. The love, money's neutral. Currency is neutral. Gold and silver are neutral. All right? But the love of it is an open door to trouble. Ecclesiastes 5 and 10 says this, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. This too is vanity. I remember the savings and loan crisis. How many of you are old enough to remember that? When so many people were caught in just unbelievable greed, unbelievable avarice. And I remember somebody asking on television one time, how many yachts can you ski behind? How many houses can you, and how many houses can you live at the same time? You know, money is a blessing when it's in its proper place as a servile uh, 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 slave of obedience but it is impossible to, to be wealthy, or not to be wealthy, it is impossible to be spiritual and have wealth as a driving motivation. I remember, you know, I've had multiple people in my office that we were talking about, they were looking at a decision they had to make, a relatively big one. And I would tell them the same thing I tell myself. Never, ever, ever should money be the driving factor in anything, any decision we make, ever. Is it a factor? Of course. But is it to be the driving factor? The answer is the, the, the main consideration. The answer is no. When we get to Matthew chapter 6, which is within the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus starts off, this is from the NAS again, Matthew 6 and 1, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. Jesus is here, and you've heard me say this many times. All of chapter 6 goes under the rubric, under the heading of the beatitude that says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall perceive God. If self-promotion, if wealth, if getting rich, if amassing uh, riches or wealth is my driving force, it is my motivator, I am not going, I have set an idol above Jesus because greed is idolatry. Paul said so, all right? And covetous, covetousness, can be and often is very subtle. It kind of sneaks around under the surface. It is insidious. And again, the word insidious comes from the Latin word for ambush. It can be in there working and then gotcha, you know, and it's like you're, too, you're, you're already ensnared and can't get away. Um, it is deceptive. And in fact, right, we're uh, looking at that scripture again where it says, um, beware of practicing, literally watch out 
for practicing, for doing your righteousness, uh, righteousness before men to be noticed. The word translated notice, in fact, I think in the King James it's even translated to be seen by them, but it is the word from which we derive our word theater or theatrical. All right, First uh, Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 5 from the NIV says this, You know we never use flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. It is particularly helpful for people who are trying to rake in some money, rake in some cash, to disguise their motive and disguise themselves as being spiritual, lofty-minded, lofty, lofty goal. We've all seen it. Ministries that run uh, videos of, of orphans in Haiti or some other place and they're raising money for these or um, uh, it could even be animal rescue. You know, some of those, it's like you sit there and it pulls on your heartstrings. You know, for only this amount of money, you can, you can find this, this orphan a home or you can feed this and all that. And then later on find out that no, only about 10% or 20% of the money was actually making it out there. All the rest of it was absorbed in um, expenses. I remember not that long ago, there was, you know, we used to get those solicitation calls, you know, trying to raise money for this or that, and it seemed like a worthy cause, but then I read about how that the fundraisers kept 85% of the funds they raised. Well, if I want to give to that organization, I think I'll do it straight, just directly. First Timothy chapter 6, and we're going to read this one way, but then we're going to backtrack through it, uh, reverse engineer it. 1 Timothy chapter uh, 6, verse 3 says, If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine, and whenever you see doctrine, just think teaching, conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing. Notice that. If he, people who do not agree with sound, the words of Jesus and with a teaching conforming to godliness, that person is conceited. They think they know more than the Bible. They think they know more than the Scripture. They think they know more than the Lord. They think they know more than the Holy Spirit and understands nothing. But he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words, out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions, Constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth. Ah, here it comes. Who suppose that godliness is a means of great gain. But godliness is actually a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and snare and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires 
which plunge men into ruination and destruction. For the love of money is the, and there it is, the root of all kinds of evil. And by longing for it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many a pang. Now, or grieves. One of the things about that is that you read the first part of that and you think it's not related to the last part, but I assure you that it is. Because Paul ends it in the crescendo of those who want to kiss money. For that's what the love, the word for love means kiss. Right? Longing, verse 9, to be rich, having set their heart on it. Verse 5, constant friction, men depraved, mind deprived of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of great gain. That is covetousness. And it brings that strife. It brings friction. Envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions. I remember the, uh, I remember the vision that Marianne Brown had. Uh, I think it was back in like in 73, 74, somewhere in that period. It might have been a little bit before that, a little bit after that. And she said she could see the United States of America. And she saw the churches. She saw churches, little points of light, you know, within our nation. She said, I heard what sounded like a thunderclap or a sonic boom, just a boom like this. And lots of them, not all, but a lot of them got a lot brighter, just began to shine brighter. And she said, this is it. This is revival. And she said, the Spirit of God said, no, this is the angel of light. And it was about that time that the charismatic movement discovered the prosperity message. Now, I'm going to look you right in the eye on the internet and tell you I believe in prosperity. I believe God wants us to prosper. I believe he not only wants us to prosper, he wants us to have abundance. But I also know that that is not the first or even second or third thing on his priority list. And what I saw happen in that time, because I was around during that period of time, and I was in that flow, and I saw all kinds of excess and all kinds of, of leverage applied to people with the promise, you're going to get rich. God's going to open the windows of heaven. He's going to pour out a blessing you've not room to receive. We got into hilarious giving. I saw guys get up and prop. They wrote books on the subject. The wealth of the wicked, yours for the taking. And things of that nature. And people started writing the check, not out of a sense of of. of consecration to God, not out of, of love and worship, but they were investing. The Pharisees were that way. The Pharisees believed that by, you know, every time they gave, God owed them. Yeah, they, you know, God owes us. And so one of my uh, professors used to say this. God is not the cosmic Coke machine. You put your money in, then you stick out your hand to receive. And he had just gotten through saying that to us in the class uh, two days before. And then in chapel, the two days later, the president of the school used that very illustration in the way that he was debunking like this. And we said, well, Doc, what he goes, I hate it when he does that. I love that man. But I know what he's trying to do, but he said that reduces God to a cosmic lackey 
a cosmic banker, a cosmic hedge fund manager that we, you know, we put our money in and it comes back. And I mean, we used to get so excited. I've seen, I've seen, I was in meetings where people are running around screaming, hundredfold return, hundredfold return. And they're doing calculations. They're sowing. Okay, I'm sowing a hundred dollars. So what's a hundredfold return on a hundred dollars, $10,000, whatever it is. I'm going to sow a thousand dollars. What's a hundred thousand dollars? What's a hundredfold return? It's a hundred thousand dollars. And they're banking this. I've seen people get into the thing where they write faith checks. That's where they, you know, you write a check that, and you say, and they would say, I'm calling those things that be not as though they were. And that money's going to be in the bank by the time that check gets there. Hello, county prosecutor. That's not spiritual. It's not holy. It's not faith. And it's covetous. It's covetous. And I love this where it says, Disputes about words and envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions. I have seen the gift of suspicion operating at a high level. Matthew chapter 26, verses 6 through 9. Let's do a little, let's, we're going we're gonna to look at somebody who had a problem with greed. We're going to look at somebody who, you know, when Jesus said, if your eye is, is generous, your body will be full of light. But if your eye is evil, and we're going to get to that here, and we've even named the message after it, uh, your body will be full of darkness. And if the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And that isn't a question, it's a statement. Here in Matthew 26, verse 6, And when Jesus was in Bethany, at the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume. And she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. But the disciples were indignant. Okay, that is a real nice word for saying they were miffed. They were angry. When they saw this and said, why this waste? This perfume might have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. Why this waste? Well, that just lets out there what whoever was saying it, think about it. And given to the poor, how noble, how lofty, how spiritual. And it looks and sounds so Lofty and ethereal. And with it, it says they were indignant. Well, there's the strife of which Paul speaks. Because in Mark 14 and 5, it says, For this perfume might have been sold for over 300 denarii and the money given to the poor. And they were what? Scolding her. This this is a great story because it, 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 it illustrates more than one thing. 300 denarii. Nearly a year's wages for your average worker or for a soldier. This is not poverty level. It's probably close to $40,000, $45,000 in today's terms, in terms of buying power. And 
What and the way prices are going up, and probably even you know more. And this was most likely her life's savings. Now, why I say that is because we're told that it was it was Purinard, and this was uh, you know a, a a very very expensive um, aromatic oil like that was 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 a great way to store a lot of wealth in a very small place, and you could hide it. Money was often kept that way, portable, compact, easy to conceal, easily converted into silver or gold should the need arise, or the specie, the, the cash, whatever it was of the day in their case, the, uh, you know, whether it was drachmas or denarii, whatever. And in John 12, verse, we'll begin reading with, you know, we're going we're gonna to read 4 through 6, and we're going to get a little bit more insight because John, having been there, is giving us uh, the, uh, an eyewitness account. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who was intending to betray him, said, Why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to poor people? Now, he said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And he had, as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was put into it. Judas had sticky finger disease. He was, a, he was an embezzler. He was covetous. The complainers had a ringleader. Judas the treasurer. Judas, the one who... I would be willing, well, in fact, it seems to indicate here that he was the one who actually berated Mary for her gift. And why did he do it? John didn't leave us to wonder. He was covetous. He was a thief, an embezzler. Covetousness, greed will lead one to compromise or reject morality and ethics that they know that they know that they know to be correct. Judas knew that if Jesus, well, I don't know that, I, th I think Jesus did know, but I don't think Judas knew that Jesus knew. And if Judas, were, if Jesus were to walk up to Judas and say, Judas, do you think uh, stealing 10% of the income of the ministry is pleasing to the Lord? Judas would have to answer him in the negative but the Lord never confronted him because his heart was already gone. Somebody said, well, why would, why would God even include him with, with the, uh, the apostles? The same reason that he raised up the man he raised up to be Pharaoh over Egypt when Israel was ready when God was ready to bring Israel out. You see, he didn't, we know it says he hardened Pharaoh's heart. Well, you go read the text. Pharaoh hardened his own heart multiple times before God started helping him with that. And Pharaoh would have been the same hard-hearted individual living in absolute poverty in a hovel in Upper Egypt as he was as Pharaoh. And God just said, that man is perfect for my plan 
and saw to it that he became the ruler. He didn't make the man who he was. That man was responsible for who he was. He, he, he bear, bore full responsibility for his character, just like Judas did. Judas coveted the money that the nard would have brought in. And from it, he could skim a nice little sum. But a lot of believers act as if Jesus was the one who said that the money should have been given to the poor. Now, here's the flip side of that. You know, uh, think about this. Jesus did not criticize nor try to stop Mary from doing what she did. Now, I've said it, and I've said it, I've said it up here, and I've, I've told you myself, that if anybody ever were to get up here and start saying, oh, the Lord shows me that you should give your, your, you should give your, uh, your mortgage payment. Give your mortgage payment to God. Put it in the offering tonight. Put that mortgage payment or your rent payment, whatever it is, in the, in the offering tonight. And God will see to it that you are blessed abundantly that I'm going to walk up there and say, okay, everybody, everybody out of the pool. We're not doing that. I've never done anything even akin to that. And I've never seen anybody else. I've seen other people do it, but I've never seen anybody do it that I thought was under the genuine inspiration of God. First of all, he might tell an individual to do that by the inspiration directly of his spirit, but he's not going to tell the whole crowd to do that because nobody, not everybody in that crowd is at a place where they could believe. And people who put it in there oftentimes are, they, they get dollar signs in their eyes and they think, well, there's the man of God up there prophesying that this is going to happen. And so, oh yeah, it's kind of like one of these guys on TV going, buy, buy, buy stocks, buy stocks, buy stocks. No, yes. No, because they have a vested interest. Jesus' actions, think about this. Accepting the gift, his action in so doing, was a statement in and of itself. We'll come back to that in a minute. Again, in verse 4, why did Judas betray Jesus. He did it for money. 30 pieces of silver, just like it says over in Zechariah. And we see it in verses 14 and 15. Then one of the 12 named Judas Iscariot went to the chief priests and said, what are you willing to give me to betray him to you? And they went out and they weighed out 30 pieces of silver to him. It is my personal conviction, and I cannot prove this by scripture, it is my personal conviction that Judas did not intend for Jesus to be arrested, tried, and crucified. He had seen Jesus in situations multiple times with hostile crowds that wanted to throw him off of the, you know, the cliff of a city or picking up stones to stone him or trying to lay hands on him and all this other stuff. And then Jesus just walked out of their midst. And I think Judas miscalculated and thought, we'll see that happen again. And I'll be 30 pieces of silver to the good, which is enough to buy a, a field. It, in the Old Testament, it's the price of a slave. And so it, it, it's not an inconsequential amount of money. 
It's about 120 denarii. So, you know, it, it's some money. Judas, or said this way, Judas's criticism of Mary betrayed what was going on in his own heart and his own mind. Judas, Judas's thinking, his value system, his agenda is revealed right there when he begins to do that. All right, Matthew 6 and 23 from the King James Version. But if your eye is evil, if your eye be evil, your whole body shall be full of darkness. And if therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. Now, the Jews standing there, we, you know, if your eye is evil, we don't... And if you haven't studied the scripture and you, you're just casually reading it, you might not understand what that means. But every Jew, every literate Jew standing there knew exactly what he meant because Proverbs 28 and 22 says this, a man with an evil eye hastens after wealth, chases money, and is completely unaware that want will come upon him. It's going to boomerang on him. An evil eye is a covetous, money-loving, greedy, envious eye. Proverbs 23, 6 through 8. Listen to this. Do not eat, this is from the NIV, do not eat the food of a stingy man or crave his delicacies. For he is the kind of man who is always thinking about the cost. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. You will vomit up the little you have eaten and will have wasted your compliments. My, uh, you can get in a habit of, and you know, my wife finally told me, would you please stop that? Because has anybody eaten out lately? I mean, at some place other than, well, I paid $4.19 for a Big Mac the other day. $4.19 for that. There's another burger place here that makes really good hamburgers and it's $9.77 for a, for a cheeseburger. $9.70, 77 cents. That's with the tax, of course. But we, you know, we went to this one restaurant, it shall remain nameless, but the food was good. Two, two you know, uh, entrees and two desserts. Or, well, you've thrown a third to take home, $76. It's like, man, we can afford to do that once a month. Yesterday, we went to his pizza place and, and, and she said, I'll treat. I want that pizza. So we went and it was like 10 inch pizza and it got a little one for Bub. And I had a salad, you know, a two pass or three pass of all you can eat salad and everything. And by the time we, we, we like to tip because we know those people are dependent on it. We do it usually unless it's just horrible. We do them. And even then, you know, 20%, $70. And I said, God, Sammy, like this. And she goes, would you please stop that? And first it got, it got under my skin. It's like, but it's, it's, I mean, this is terrible. 
But I realized that a pattern had started of me griping about how much everything costs. Kind of like your granddad. I can't believe what this has cost, Agnes. I remember when I could buy a gallon of high-test gasoline for five cents. Well, I don't remember that, but I do remember 199. And you know what? If all we're doing is looking, no, I'm not saying that all of the things we're seeing around us are okay, because they're not. I'm not saying that everything, you know, that everything the government is doing, I mean, I've never seen a government that could just get everything consistently wrong, you know, and then wonder why it isn't working. And I, you know, but if all I can do is sit around and complain about it, that tells me upon what I am focused and you know what? If I really believe that my God is supplying all of my needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus, and I seem to remember the pastor up here not that long ago talking about what are you saying and how we need to say what God says and we need to believe what God says and we need to act like that what God says is true and that God is faithful and if pizza goes to $300, if we show up and we've got the money, we should rejoice and say, wow, that was a great $300 pizza. <laughs> I want you to think about this. A lot of the things that are happening to our nation right now are the fulfillment of Deuteronomy chapter 28, verses 15 and following, all the curses it says there. You go through that, you will be shocked how much you see there, how we've become the debtor, not the creditor. We've been, we've, we're underneath, not above. We're this close to our, our, our money. We're going to talk a little bit more about that under the gates of hell, uh, which right now, the U.S. dollar is the reserve currency in, of the world. It is nowhere near as dominant as it once was, and it's on its way to not being dominant at all because our government is using it as a cudgel to cause other nations to fall in line, and other nations are saying, okay, we need to come up with another way of paying for stuff. And we need to be rejoice because what this is doing is it's bringing pressure on people. And people are finally, our rather agnostic nation is going, many within it at least, are going to come to the place where they see that money is not the answer. And they're going to see that um, the government doesn't have the, well, I think everybody's pretty much there anyway. But my point here is that, that tribulation, the squeeze is on. And I don't enjoy being a part of it. How about you? Is anybody here? You know, I don't necessarily enjoy being a part of it. Do you think Elijah enjoyed himself during the 42 months when it didn't rain? By his word. 
I mean, every time you go into a post office, there's this picture. Because Ahab was looking for him everywhere. Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines. Finally, at one point, he had to go to Sarafat, which is in Sidon, Sidon, and that was outside Ahab's reach, even though it was right under the nose of Jezebel's dad, who was himself a priest to Baal. One of the things that God loves to do when he starts dealing with the people is to begin to humble their gods. So should it be a surprise to us that that's happening here. The things that people worship, whether it's wealth or whether it's influence or whether it is being able to flaunt my abominable, by, def, by scriptural definition, perverse lifestyle, la-da-da-da-da. And that I feel privileged to assault anybody I want to, even if it's on live TV. We have become a very, very permissive society. Judas' thinking, his value system were exposed. Evil eye manifests, manif will manifest itself as jealous and envying and grudging. Matthew 6.22 says, if your eye is good, the lamp of the body of you, uh, the lamp of the body, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is clear, why they translate it that way, I do not know because it's from the word hoplos, which means generous and is used by James that way in his epistle. Your whole body will be full of light. That's James 1 and 5. Uh, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men generously. That's the cognate. And without reproach, and it will be given to him. And in Matthew 6 and 23, from the... Uh, uh, Lexham English Bible, it says, but if your eye is evil, your whole body will be dark. I mean, there it is. And that is 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10, the love of money, longing for it, and it has caused people to wander away from the faith, to heap to themselves teachers, false teachers of, of, their, own, of their own predilection. Had Mary's gift, I want you to think about this. Had Mary's gift, now, occasionally the Lord will say, I want you to do something, and it's over the top. It's over and above. I don't expect him to do that with the whole group of people, but occasionally. And if that was, her act was too extravagant or over the top or wrong, it would have been a marvelous opportunity for Jesus to lovingly set her straight. Would it not? Mary that's sweet, and I really appreciate it. But honey, take that nard and fill in the blank. Mary, 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 thanks, but I can't accept this. Today, people would criticize both her and Jesus. Her for giving it and him for accepting it. So what does, Judas, what does Jesus do, though? To whom does he speak? He doesn't speak to Mary. He speaks to Judas and says, lay off. Mark 14 and 6. Leave her alone. Jesus said, Jesus, why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. A kalos thing. 
Not only did he not criticize her, he received the gift. He commended her. I want you to think about this. $40,000 or $45,000 worth of gift. And for how long did the fragrance last? A few hours? Don't know. Most people, even believers, feel free or justified in judging others here. Well, that's extravagant. They could have put that money in missions. Why does, why does Sister Kathy need such an expensive car? Why does she need that? By the way, she drives a 14-year-old Ford. And which we got on the X plan. <laughs> um, she could have put that money in missions. Or, you know, why? Uh, I'll bet those shoes cost $500. Have you ever felt a little conspicuous when God blessed you with something and you didn't want people to think that you were, you felt like you were kind of showing off or, that somebody might think you were showing off. And if that's not what's in your heart, then you're not showing off. What happens? Okay, let's just say I'm, I'm uh, uh, you know, one day I get a call and a fellow says, you know, somebody that I know says, hey, I got something for you. Can you meet me at, and he gives me an address. And when I get there, it's a, Chevrolet dealership over in Kansas. And I go walking in and he's there. I go, what do you, what do you need? And he goes, Lord told me to give this to you. Give what? And he points at a brand new Corvette. Have you seen them? They look like they're going 150 at the gas pump. And the gas pump may be the only thing they won't pass. Okay. I mean, I saw one over here at Costco the other day. A guy had a white one. I was, you know, I, I go to Costco because it's cheaper. And I, uh, and so this fellow was filling up his Corvette at Costco. If I had a Corvette, I'd probably, I would have to fill it up at Costco. And he, you know, I, 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 I told you about this already. I said to him, you know, I'm, I said, I know you hear this all the time, but that is gorgeous. He goes, yes, I do. And thank you. You know, now do I want a Corvette? The answer is no, I don't. But if somebody gives me one, what do I do with it? Because if the minute I drive it in the lot, I mean, not you, but if I go to a minister's meeting or something like this, and I pull into the parking lot driving that thing, Oh, man, the religious spirits are going to come out of the woodwork. And so I will feel obligated to go around. I, I didn't buy this. It was a gift. I, I, no, I didn't buy this. It was a gift. I mean, I, you know, a guy gave it to me. I, I, didn't, I didn't buy this. Half of them are going to go, wow, that's awesome. And half of them are going to go, sure. And, you know, and then I'll say, Lord, I can't drive this. People are going to look at me driving this and they're going to think that I'm just in it for the money and all this kind of stuff. 
Because I know guys on TV that drive Bentleys and Rolls Royces and stuff, and they buy them. They're not giving them to them. They buy them. And, Lord, I, that's just not me. I don't think I can do this. You know, I need to sell this car and put the money into missions. The problem with that is the guy didn't give me the car to sell. He gave the car to me to drive. I remember one of my pastors was given a Rolex. And he, he said it was three or four months before he felt comfortable actually wearing that watch because it was, that was back when watches were flashy. And if you, everybody, everybody wore a real live ticking watch before they started checking the time on their cell phone or they had an Apple watch or a Google watch or a whatever watch. And, you know, he, he said it was a while before he, he had always wanted one, but he wouldn't buy one because he wouldn't, you know, he, he wouldn't, he, he didn't think it was a good stewardship and he just couldn't bring himself to do it. And then somebody gave him one. Then he found out that I don't, I don't think I can wear it. Hmm. Often, when we look at somebody, you know, Pastor Kevin's driving a brand new Corvette. Did you know that? Yeah. He should have bought a Hyundai or a Kia with that money and given the rest to the City Union Mission. Well, I didn't, in, in my illustration, I didn't buy the car, it was a gift. And my greatest desire in receiving that gift is that he will also pay the sales tax on it. My goodness. I heard a guy once, this was in a, in a Texaco station that my dad used to do business with when I was just a little kid. Everybody remember Texaco? And there was a man in his son there uh, picking up, I think they were picking up his car and his son was in his mid-twenties and he said, you know, to his dad, he said, you know what, dad, we ought to buy you, we ought to buy us a, a Corvette like that. And his dad looked at him and said, well, if you'll pay the insurance, I'll pay for the car. <laughs> because I don't know if it's that way now, but it used to be when you bought, I mean, they're all fiberglass and everything and so the fact is you know, we've all looked at somebody enviously and said, why don't I have that? I don't understand why he has that or she has that, and I don't. Now, don't look at me like you've never had that thought because I happen to know that you have flesh. And I also happen to know that there is a devil in this world who loves to stir up that flesh and bring that um, envy on us and jealousy on us. That is not the attitude of Jesus. My attitude is supposed to be when I see somebody get blessed, it doesn't matter how they got it. That's between them and God. And I should rejoice in their blessing. My eye, if our musicians will come, we'll close. 
What does it say in 6.22, Matthew 6.22? The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is clear, if your eye is generous, if your eye is an eye of blessing, your whole body will be full of light. Paul says, jealousy and envy and greed and covetousness are not to even be named among us. It has no part in me. Let's say it. I, it has no part in me. Their blessing does not, you know, just think about this. It's not a zero-sum game. That isn't like, okay, there are only so many Corvettes in the world, and the fact that that guy's got one is the reason I don't have one. So I'm going to go take it from him. We saw some rioting like that recently. If I, the, it'll, it'll hinder my faith. It'll keep God from being able, being able to bless me. If I'm looking at stuff and I'm going, oh, Janice Joplin. Do you know any Janice Joplin? I do. Oh, Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? Why are you singing it with me? That's scary. <laughs> My friends all drive Porsches. I must make amends. Work hard. All my lifetime, no help from my friends. Oh, Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz? The next line was, oh, Lord, won't you buy me a color TV? I'm counting on you, Lord. And see, that's just that. Okay, what? No, they, oh, yeah, I know. I've heard that from several other texts. The, the fact is that we, if, if I am covetous, if I am envious, if I'm desirous of those things, that says my flesh is in control and that hinders God from being able to do for me. Why? Because it hinders my faith. It's not God judging me. I'm not going to give that to you, son, because you're covetous. No, that covetousness is, is evidence that my faith is not working. Because if my faith is working, I'm not worried about what Neil has back there and the fact that he just hit the, uh, he just hit the parking lot in a, in a brand new uh, uh, Shelby Mustang, GT500 Mustang, 9,000 gazillion horsepower. Yeah. When he starts it, that candid V8 engine goes like this. It's like, oh, guy stuff. <laughs> Ladies, I'm, you're going to have to fill in your own blank. I, you know, I'm a giver, not a kicker. Money neither controls me, nor does it even motivate me. That's our story and we're sticking to it. Amen. Let's all stand. Matthew 6, 33 from the New King James. Seek first. A first priority, first importance, the kingdom of God. In other words, his will, the will of the king. And his righteousness, his way, his will, his way. And all these things will be added to you. Things will not always go as smoothly as we would like for them to go. God will not always be greasing the skids. We will have, Paul said, he had fat seasons and he had skinny seasons. And he learned to be joyful in the midst of all of it. And that's why I read the scripture is so Paul can rub off on me. Amen. And that same spirit 
that operated in Paul can operate in me. Amen. For those of you watching by web tonight or today or whenever it is you're playing it back, there is one of the things that says there, and I'll be sharing this again soon, that your father has knows what you have need of before you even ask him. But if you're not a believer, he is not your father. And I know that that flies in the face and swims upstream for, from the current religious narrative of the fatherhood of God and the brotherhood of man. But the fact of the matter is that until I accept Jesus of Nazareth as my savior, then he's not my father because he said, he who receives me receives him who sent me. And that is the father. He said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man comes to the father, but through me. And so just being a human being and being alive is not enough for being a child or a son of the living God. You must, Jesus said in John chapter three, be born again. And the way you do that is to embrace Jesus as your savior. And Paul said over in Romans 10, the way to do that is to believe with your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and that God the Father has raised him from the dead. So would you pray that right now? Would you just pray, Father, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe you have raised him from the dead. And I believe with my heart and my confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Lord and be my Savior. It says that you will be transferred, delivered out of the domain, the, the, the dominance, the boot, from under the boot of darkness and the wicked one into the kingdom of God's beloved son. And believer, if you have done, if tonight's message has done a little bit of a checkup from the neck up and maybe you see that maybe some, a little bit of greed or a little bit of covetousness has, or maybe a lot, has it has insidiously inserted itself because it is so easy. We're swimming in it in this culture, swimming in it. We must not allow that to control us. We must not. We're going to be givers. We're going to be lovers. We're going to be blessers. And when somebody is blessed, we're going to say, amen. Good on them. That is an awesome private jet you have there, brother. I hope you're enjoying it. And lately, I hope you can feed it. And not to kick. And somebody might say, well, they could have taken that money. Listen, our father is an endless supply for our need. And so we don't have to worry about anybody else. Believe me, I got enough going on on my own plate without having to worry about somebody else. God, we're going to be givers. We're going to be blessers. We're going to, our hearts are going to be pure toward him. And that'll allow us not only to give, but to be open to receive whatever he has for us. And it'll open the door. Our faith will open the door for God to do things over and above and beyond 
whatever we ask or think according to the power that works in us. Amen. We hope this message has been a great blessing to you and has helped build your faith in Jesus. We encourage you to visit our app, Independence Christian Center, on your cell phone available from the Apple App Store or Android, Google Play. You can also find us on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon, YouTube, and Facebook, again, under Independence Christian Center, or at our website, iccfamily.org, iccfamily.org. Our heart's desire here is to labor with the Lord in building His body. Until next time, may God's very best be yours.